Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message. We've been talking a lot about this whole how to deal with regret. Dear younger me, what would you like to say to your younger self that you probably need to hear now? And as we had these kind of conversations at the ministerial team, uh, it really was clear to me that we needed to get Pastor Bonach involved in these discussions. Uh, and so uh, we're going to have this conversational uh, message uh, with you today just to help us think through uh, how to deal with this whole concept of regret. Now. Pastor Bonak has been here for 27 years, and he's the young guy. <laughs> and uh, a few years ago, uh, he expressed an interest in uh, transitioning uh, and studying to become a mental health counselor, uh, and uh, has since become a licensed professional counselor in training. Uh, and uh, we've opened up the Community Counseling and Care Center. So, uh, first of all, Jeffrey, why don't you just kind of tell us how things are going at the Counseling and Care Center? Yeah, thanks. Uh, appreciate that opportunity. Um, as always, I, I'd like to begin with just uh, a huge thank you uh, to our St. Paul's and our Bridge family for their continued support, you know, prayers, uh, financial. Uh, but for me, the big thing, I think, is just this opportunity you have afforded me to be able to move into this new focus of ministry, and I really appreciate that. Um, when we started, we knew that there was need, but I, I think we never even imagined how great that need was going to be. Uh, currently, I am working with nearly 100 individuals or couples uh, that translates to about 27, 28, sometimes 30 sessions every week. Um, if, if we were to kind of divide that out demographically, I would say about 30% uh, are connected to our St. Paul's family, 30% uh, from uh, the community around us and uh, sister churches. And the rest I meet with via telehealth, and uh, they can be from any uh, place in the state or even in, in the nation. I suppose it could be world too. Um, right now we are looking to add a part-time, another part-time counselor, uh, hopefully in April or May, Lord willing. Pray for more counselors. I mean, you know, you always hear you pray, pray for pastors and teachers. We desperately need more Christian counselors. So mm -hmm. we could use more than just one person part-time. Yeah. Young people, it's an awesome opportunity for a career, so think about that. Um, and I guess the, the last thing I wanted to say is just to emphasize that we continue to build our support group ministry. It's led by an amazing group of very empathetic and caring individuals. And um, it, just to be completely honest, there are a number of our support groups that really only have a handful of participants. And that kind of is a little bit heavy on my heart uh, because I feel that these support groups are so incredibly helpful uh, for people who are going through these kinds of challenges. But I also want to get us to think a little bit differently that they also um, are a great resource for all of us 
you know, to, to learn to understand a little bit better some of these issues and to gain some skills so that we can be able to know what to say or how to help people who are going through these, these same types of um, situations. When we had the first one of these conversations last night, I, I realized that that's kind of where we'll come back to, mm -hmm. uh, that this was, okay, how do we get better prepared? So it's not just the person who's specifically dealing with the mental health issue, but any friend, family member. All of us. Yeah, yes. all of us. So, so one of the ways that we tend to deal with uh, regret, shame, is to hide it. And uh, we'll see that in Genesis chapter 3. But before we look at Genesis 3, our, our lesson for today, uh, I wanted to start with recognizing that the Lord God had a different plan. That his plan was that there would be nothing to hide. You know, at the end of the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, after Adam and Eve are created, uh, the text says, so Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They had nothing to hide. And that's really the Lord God's desire for us. And we'll see that's not the case for Adam and Eve, and it's not the case for us either. But I also wanted to start here because it uses that term shame. And as we talked about this at the ministerial team meeting, uh, Jeffrey shared with us a memory device that's really helpful for me as I think about the difference between guilt and shame. Jeffrey, could you share that with us? Sure. I, I think those are words generally that we use interchangeably, but I think we could really benefit by trying to dig in and, and make a distinction. So I'll begin with guilt, so healthy guilt, and I'm going to mention healthy, emphasize that, because there is unhealthy guilt. Um, I think that's another topic for another time. But healthy um, guilt is from God, and so that it's, it's good. Catch all the G's there? Guilt from God is good, right? Um, you know, one of the things that we do as counselors is really try to help people kind of identify and, and work through their feelings. That's, that's always kind of the joke, you know? How do you feel about that, right? Um, but actually, it, this is incredibly important. Um, because God gave us our feelings for a reason. Uh, they were given to us to communicate to us. Um, our feelings are telling us that something positive is going on in our life or something negative is going on in our life. And we are healthiest when we take the time to identify what we are feeling and then ask a couple questions. The first question is, what is this feeling trying to communicate to me? And then following that up with the question, is there something that I would like to continue to do or something that maybe I would decide to no longer do based on this feeling? So what is guilt communicating to us? It's communicating to us that I have some behavior that is outside of God's design for my life, and therefore it is destructive. It is hurting other people, possibly. Um, it is offending God. And in the end, it's ending up hurting me. Now, if guilt is doing what God intends it to do, then we will be motivated to want 
to change that guilt. But, but I think what's really important here is understanding that it's focused always on the behavior, right? There is um, something that I am doing that is wrong. And, and I know that as a forgiven child of God, uh, and with the power of his spirit within me, I can change that behavior moving forward. Again, focus on the behavior. I see shame, on the other hand, as a snare that Satan uses to sabotage our faith. Get what I'm doing there? Um, Satan loves to, uh, to speak a lie into our lives that causes us to feel like our sins and our misdeeds are... They're, they're, they're so unique to us. We're, we're so different in, in, in what we're doing, and, and they're so grievous um, that they're communicating that there's something deeper um, wrong inside of us. And, and so notice how the focus is, 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 is subtly, subtly shifted from the deed to our identity. So it's no longer... Um, what I've done as much as it, I, I feel that there's something, you know, I've done something wrong, I feel like there's something wrong, fundamentally wrong with me. And so I hear people say things all the time like, you know, I'm fatally flawed, or they will use the word broken, and sometimes put irreparably in there. And it's, it's not a, a, a far hop, skip, and a jump from that to feeling I'm irredeemable, right? So, un, or healthy, unlike healthy guilt, shame does not motivate us, does not empower us to change. Uh, the opposite, as we've been saying here, it, it causes us to want to hide. It fills us with this fear, this dread, you know, that if someone else were to find out what I have done or just how damaged and broken I am, they would just turn away, they would reject me. And that goes for God too. And I think that's what makes shame so satanic because shame not only convinces us that there's something about us that makes us unworthy and, and, and hopeless for any you know, true healing or connection, but that fear causes us to hide and when we hide, there's no opportunity for anyone else to speak into our darkness. Yeah, I, I think of another S word, a secret. I, I've got to keep this secret. And, and you see that in Genesis chapter 3, the fall into sin, that Adam and Eve have a secret that they're trying to keep from God. So uh, I'd invite you, to, if, if you have your phones, uh, to open up the, your Bible app to uh, Genesis chapter 3 and follow along. Now take a look at verses 1 through 8, and, and as I read it, I'm going to try to emphasize a few words to share with you one of my ahas. It's amazing. I, I think I probably have read this text uh, a, a thousand times, and as I was getting ready for this message, I, I saw something brand new. So, Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, 
we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now my aha is the name for the divine. Twenty times in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, the divine is called Lord God. Now that's Lord in all capital letters. And Lord in all capital letters in the Hebrew is God's personal savior name. It's a name that emphasizes that he is unchanging and independent. He is that he is. I am that I am, he would say about himself. Now that's true of all of his characteristics, but it's especially true about his love, right? That his love for us is unchanging and that his love is independent. He doesn't love you more on the days that you've been good boys and girls and less on the days that you've been bad boys and girls, right? His love is unchanging and independent of us. Now that's the Lord God that we see active in Genesis chapter 2. You see, Genesis chapter 1, the divine is called God, the powerful one who just speaks the word and it's done. In chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit gives us more detail about the creation of the, on the sixth day, the, the Garden of Eden. He's introduced as the Lord God, the Savior God. And that's the terminology that's used all the way through Genesis chapter 3 as well, the fall into sin. Except in the conversation between Satan and Eve. Satan doesn't call him Lord God. Did the Lord God, the Savior God, really? No, no, no. He said, did God really say? This God who is far removed from you, who, who probably doesn't really love you? You see, that's the fact, right? You know, we can see the power of God in creation, but you can't know how does that God feel about you. Did God really say that? And, and it seems like Eve picks up that, and, and her, her response is, well, God did say, it seems like they began to lose sight that the God that they knew was the God who loved them with unchanging and independent love, the, the merciful God. And so when the Lord God comes in the cool of the day, they scurry for cover. They're afraid because... It, it, it's true, you know, that if you don't think something that you've done can be forgiven, then you aren't going to confess it. You aren't going to share it because that'll just make it worse, right? If it can't be possibly forgiven. So they hide. 
they hide with fig leaves and they hide behind trees. And as we talked about this, uh, Pastor Bonach helped me understand that we hide too. How much time do you have talking about that, right? <laughs> yeah, um, even as we look at, at Adam and Eve, the fig leaves and the trees weren't the only attempts that they were um, showing to hide their shame. Um, already at the very start, we see them hiding behind defensiveness and blame, uh, where Adam says to, to God, hey, you, God, this woman you gave me, you know, she gave me the fruit and I ate, and Eve is the serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Uh, and, I, and I feel it's just really key for us to think about that and apply that to ourselves, um, wives and husbands and moms and dads, because many times when blame and defensiveness um, crops up in our conversations or in our conflicts, there's a good, that's a good clue that there is shame hidden somewhere underneath that. I think there are many times where I see people, and I, um, I'm not saying I'm innocent of this, they will kind of laser focus on, on um, other people's sins and, and even maximize those, again, to try to, to deal with their shame. I, maybe a simple example is I'm struggling to keep my house in order. I feel shame about that. And so I uh, you know, focus on my, hus- my husband or my wife, and I say, hey, you're so lazy. You never help. You don't care about anyone but yourself. You know, and, and I, as I uh, heard uh, Jeffrey say this last night, it, it, a conversation like from 30 years ago came back. Uh, there was a dear Christian woman who was just incredibly judgmental. You know, she, she, she could find fault with anybody. And uh, I told her, you are the most arrogant person. And I realize now, it wasn't arrogance. It was shame that she was trying to hide. I think another place that, that shame shows itself is in these perfectionistic tendencies that we develop. If I, if I, if I could just be perfect, if I can get my life in, in, in complete order, if I do everything excellently, if, if I impress people, then they won't you know, see or notice my failings and, and uh, my deeper issues. Closely related, I think, is busy holism, <laughs> if that's a word. Uh, but it's, it's this push to keep doing and doing and accomplishing things. I think part of it is a distraction for ourselves. Um, we feel successful, right? So it, it helps us to uh, forget about our shame. Um, and probably one, one more that I think is really important to note is just anger. Especially if um, we are being triggered by a spouse or a family member who remind us over and over again of this shame um, it looks like anger, but underneath there, the root is probably shame. You know, I mentioned that I, I'm, I'm very thankful that, that Jeffrey's gotten this mental health uh, degree and, and all of this experience, uh, and he brings it into the ministerial team, but sometimes I kind of wish he wouldn't because it hurts, doesn't it? When you hear that kind of stuff, you go, ouch, ouch, I see that in me. And there's a desire for me to hide. But the Lord God's desire is not that we keep the guilt and the shame hidden. 
The Lord God comes into the garden to reveal the sin and the shame so that he can heal it. Take a look at verse 9. Again, it's the Lord God, the Savior God, called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God, see, notice again, it's the Savior God who speaks first to the man and then to the woman. I am the God who loves you. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You know, the Lord God doesn't come into the garden to reveal their sin, to, to fill them with shame. He comes in so that he can address the, the shame and the guilt. And he doesn't say, I hate you. As a pastor, I hear this. I'm sure that, Jeffrey, you as a, a pastoral counselor hear this. People say, God hates me. Have you ever heard that? Somebody say that? God hates me. All the bad things that are happening, God must hate me. God didn't hate Adam and Eve. The Lord God speak, speaks and says, cursed not is Adam and Eve, but cursed is Satan and the serpent. And then he says, Adam and Eve have formed an alliance with Satan that is going to destroy them. So I'm going to put enmity between Satan and the woman. I'm going to, I'm going to break that alliance that Satan formed with them because that alliance is going to, to harm and destroy the people that I love. I'm going to break that alliance and then I'm going to send a, a seed of the woman, a, a child who was born of of the woman who will crush Satan's head. You see, he doesn't come into the garden to say, you know, Adam and Eve, you blew it and you need to fix it. He comes in with the solution. And that's really what we celebrate this Lenten season, isn't it? That the seed of the woman came to take on our guilt and our shame to be condemned by Pontius Pilate, but more importantly, condemned by his father in our place. So that as the, the song, Dear Younger Me, says, you are holy, you are righteous, you are one of the redeemed, perfectly forgiven. That's what God wants us to hear. But when, when we are first talking about you, uh, becoming a mental health counselor. You know, I was saying, why would you want to give up this kind of ministry? Because this is our chance to tell so many people that Jesus loves them. And you made a comment uh, that uh, when people are battling mental illness, very often you can say all the right words, but they really can't 
hear it. Could you explain that a little bit? I think, and I think you know, first of all, it's just really important to understand, especially in the, in the fallen world in which we live, and fallen, as fallen human beings, um, that the, the voice that we always hear talking to us <laughs> um, constantly, that voice which we call our thoughts, that that voice does not always speak truth, that our thoughts will lie to us. Satan is a liar, the father of lies, for thousands of years, right? He's been spinning, uh, spinning those lies and coming at us. Satan understands that there is no way that he can undo the certainty of the salvation that Jesus won for us, but what he can do is he can try to get in there and, and convince us that there is something about us that, that just makes that, that salvation he won unacceptable to us, right? It's true for everybody else, yep. but not, but for not me. me. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and, 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 and there's just as many different people as we have here, there's many different circumstances in life. Um, some of those that we are in control of, it's our own sins and our own behaviors. Some of them that we actually have no control over, other sins, people's sins and, and behaviors that, that Satan uses um, either just outright or sometimes, you know, twisting it again with his half-lies and tr uh, half-truths and lies. Um, but again, to get us to think and to feel that we are definitely outside of the reach of God's grace. So my job is to help them see that that thought and that feeling is a big, bold-faced lie. Now, the struggle is, is that the, the, the same trauma, the same um, circumstances that made, made them so susceptible to believing the lie in the first place, those also make it challenging to actually see that that lie truly is a lie. It just becomes so ingrained, right, in us. Um, only the truth can set us free. The truth that, that, that Jesus, when he crawled up from the cross, it is finished. He meant what he said, that through the cross, he has removed anything and absolutely everything that can separate us from God's love. And, you know, th through the power of his word, um, through the working of his spirit and baptism, the truth is that he has taken that old ugly identity that we feel is ours. He has, he has taken it away. He has redeemed it. He has given us instead a new identity. We are forgiven, eternally loved children of God. And sometimes we just need to hear that over and over and again and, and have someone, you know, just keep saying it uh, to them, um, reminding them of the new identity that they have in Christ. And it's just interesting that the, the fall into sin story ends with a believer doing that for a fellow believer, reminding a fellow believer of the new identity. So, you know, the lesson goes on with, with God foretelling, here's all the, the, the sad consequences uh, of sin, not, not to shame Adam and Eve, but the consequences of sin that we live with are, are just meant to, to, to lead us back to the cross and, and to appreciate God's forgiveness. But this is the last verse of our text. It's verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Adam didn't call her Eve 
earlier in the chapter. Earlier in the chapter, he called her Mavet, Mavet, Mavet. Now, all of you who love Hebrew understand that as death, right? Mavet, death. You have brought death into my life, right? It's your fault, Mavet. But after Adam hears the promise of the seed of the woman, would rescue both of them from the, the judgment that they deserved. He calls her Eve. Life. Because through a child that will come ultimately from her, the Savior will give them life. That is what God wants us to have. And so this is, is our call, is to share that new identity, to claim it for ourselves and to share it with others. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey, you, you wanted to add to that too. Yeah, I, I, I think just expand um, on that and, and this, this whole idea of, of shame, you know, shame's poisonous pull is turn away, right? Turn away from God, turn away from each other. Um, but God's solution instead is to turn toward him, first of all. Um, toward all these, these beautiful truths we've been talking about, his love and his grace, his promise that nothing can separate us from the, from the love that he has shown us. And so how important it is for us to let God speak into our heart and our soul and our mind, into that shame. Um, when we remember uh, the beautiful promise he made to us at our baptism, I am, you know, I am your father, you are my child, you are mine, and loved and forgiven. Um, as we receive our Savior's body and blood in the sacrament, as we sit at our Savior's feet and, and hear those truths again and again here on, on Sunday morning or in our personal devotional life, yes, turn toward God and his love and truth. But I also um, feel it's incredibly important to remind us to turn toward each other as well. Uh, Remember, Satan's big lie is that if someone found out um, who you really are, how how, how damaged you are, um, they would reject you. And if we just kind of keep that inside and hide and hide that shame, um, it just allows that, that lie to get more and more powerful. Nothing but our thoughts feeding it, right? But if we are able to open up and, and talk about our shame with other people, giving them the opportunity to speak God's truth into our, into our hearts and lives, then that, that lie begins to lose its power and its hold over us. So, you know... For, for some of the women who are here, if, if you are carrying shame, um, maybe you feel like a bad mother um, or a bad wife, and I, I just bring that up because that's what I, I hear a lot, um, find someone that you can talk to, that you can turn to and, 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 and talk about this feeling. And um, Men, uh, if you are... Uh, dealing with shame connected to some kind of unhealthy addiction or whatever, again, find someone 
that you can turn to uh, and, and talk through this. Young people, if you are struggling with figuring out your identity or you, you feel like you're just not good enough for whatever reason, find someone that you can talk to about that, uh, that shame that's inside of you. Um, we all, we all, you know, deal with shame in one degree uh, or form or another. It is not shameful to feel shame because it's just, it's human, right? It's natural. Um, but let's trust God's design for the church. And I know this is kind of hard, but God's design for the church and um, turn to each other in our greatest, you know, in our greatest need. And maybe just one more really quick point, and that is if someone does actually have the courage to open up and talk to you about their shame, yeah, first of all, <laughs> quick prayer for wisdom and guidance. But understand that what you just really need to be is Jesus to them. You know, what Jesus means to you, you need to be that to them. Um, listen with compassion and understanding, with empathy uh, and mercy. Um, I, someone asked me after the first service, you know, what, what if what they're saying is shocking to me? I said, well, poker face. <laughs> <laughs> but also remember that, you know, there's nothing, you know, we, we have the same, you know, same issues going on. Um, but, but just find ways to, again, connect them to, the, to their identity, who they truly are in Christ Jesus. And I believe that you can do this. You got that. That was brought home to me uh, a story that I uh, heard at a meeting on Friday night. Pastor Keel was talking about how uh, a woman, uh, was, she was, he was meeting with her, and she had just shared uh, something with her, him that just uh, she felt would, okay, you know, I am, I am irredeemable, you know. And uh, David said he just leaned in and said, Jesus loves you. And the tears started to crumble. Mm -hmm. You see, that's our privilege, isn't it? That Jesus has given us this incredible power and authority to remind people that he is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And that includes the person who maybe has shocked you. No matter what, it's forgiven. Jesus died for it. That's our privilege. And this is, this is part of our spiritual heritage. You know, Many of you uh, have been Lutheran all your life and, and you, you memorized Luther's small catechism and you kind of went, when you were memorizing Luther's small catechism. But there's a section in the small catechism that, that talks about this, that, that we have the call to be a confessor, to be somebody that, that is trustworthy, and merciful, that people feel comfortable coming and talking to us, and we can assure them of forgiveness. You see, this is our spiritual heritage. That's why I would like to, to wrap up with confessing the part of the small catechism called confession. So, if we could show that.
What is confession? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness, from the confessor as from God himself. Not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. What sin should we confess? Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins, even those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before our confessor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. Which are these? Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? How will the confessor assure a penitent sinner of their forgiveness? They will say, according to the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, come and, and into our lives like you did Adam and Eve. Don't let us be overwhelmed with, with guilt and shame. Don't let us hide. Bring us out into your open, marvelous grace and mercy in Christ. Help us to see as individuals our new identity as your forgiven children. And then, Lord, make us a family, a family of believers here at the bridge, a family that, that by our lives we show that we are trustworthy, that when people share their, the, the burdens on their hearts, that we're not going to gossip, that, that they can trust us. Lord, work, work that miracle in us so that, that we show mercy and compassion to those who are struggling and, and that people would feel welcome to share the darkness, the shame, that Satan is using to try to destroy them. Lord, use us to bring healing into their lives just as you have brought healing to us. All this we ask in the name of the seed of the woman who crushed Satan's head, who died for us, who rose victorious. And in his name we also pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as in heaven give us today our daily bread forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil for the kingdom the power and the glory are yours now and forever amen and the lord the Savior God, 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ Sermon Podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online at stpaulmuskego.org.